Today, we're talking to Egil, CEO and co-founder of Unleash, about how he turned his open source side project into a successful business. You're listening to Joel Beasley, Modern CTO. I was curious though, because one thing caught my attention. So feature management connected to PII, personal identifiable yeah. information. How are they yeah. connected? Because I don't see it. Oh, no, that's, that's a perfect question. You know, maybe we can start by defining feature management and what, yeah. what, what is this problem really? Because feature management tooling for software developers. So basically what it means is, you know, software developers, they want to push code to production, right? And, and that's, that's important for so many reasons. And uh, when you want to do that, you probably want to do that for one of multiple use cases. So a very typical use case, I'm a developer, I'm working on my new feature, right? And I, I want to just see if it works, right? But I don't want to make it available for everybody else, right? So, and the best way to really see that it works is to kind of get it out there in production. And why is that important? Well, it's important because that's the only real thing, right? I, if I'm testing it on my machine, it's always going to be kind of a very simple setup compared to the advanced uh, setup you have in, in production. If I'm doing that in a test, test uh, environment, it's still not the same as the, as the real thing. So if I can get it in production, that's the perfect thing. But how can I put it in production if it's not ready, if it's not tested, right? That's, that's not something you want to do. And, and that's basically what feature management is doing. So using a tool such as Unleash, you would, as a developer, release that new part of the feature into production, but you wouldn't release it to all of your users. And what it means is I can then start to do very fantastic and, and quite, quite amazing thing. So I can start saying, so this new feature, just make it available for me, right? And if it works, I can even say, okay, let's make it available for myself and Joe. That's even better because then I'm, the two of us could test it, but nobody else. So if there is a mistake there, if there is anything going wrong, nobody else will notice because it's not there, uh, but we can see it. And, and then we start touching on this PII or the personal identifiable uh, information there, because if I'm going to target that towards the two of us, I need to know who we are, right? So it means that that piece of information is, is uh, it needs to be part of the equation, right? It needs to be part of that problem solving. So what happens is that some renders in the space, they start sending that information back. Uh, and why do you want to do that? This, of course, be for ease of use, because uh, if, if I'm starting to use this in, in large scale, I can, you know, use that uh, set of data to kind of configure this, this rollout. And, 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 and what does that mean? It basically means that this information is sent, basically sent back to us still on the server. And then you have the entire PII conversation going. There's the connection, right? Yeah. That, thank you for helping me with that. I told Josh <laughs> so, when he was doing the notes, I said, are you sure this is correct? But it makes complete <laughs> sense because as you roll these features out, depending on the type of feature, depends on the type of information you might want to segment users across your systems to roll them out to first. Yeah, now, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's that is super interesting. So when you are you know, building this feature management software, because that's what you do, correct? That's your main product. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's our product, correct. And that's an open source product? It is. So I'm curious to know about one last thing about the PII. Where does it start and stop? So when I think yeah. about PII, 
obviously date of birth, social security numbers, you know, that information comes up first, first to your mind. But let's say my Google search history or my Netflix (laughs) watch history, where is the line drawn? It's a fantastic uh, question, and I, I will not try to to come across as an expert on all all the details of PII. But basically, you know what happens there is, so, soon as you start having more and more information available, individuals, as you say, based on your Netflix, based on your Google, based on whatever, you can start cross correlating all of those pieces of information to really start identifying individual users or, or very like very detailed set of users. So, I think it's uh, it's. Um, very interesting topic that is going around in the world at the moment with all of the GDPR started a couple of years back and I sort of to, you know, also looking at with all of that, um, you know, the tension in the world, having access to detailed information about behaviors, about users, about individuals is, is re- really valuable, uh, but also something that is really, we need to be very careful about and, 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 and mindful on how we deal with that then for, 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 for us in Unleash. Being uh, being uh, born out of the European there, you're uh, within GDPR and everything. Of course, that was already designed for for taking care of that. And now we are in a very good position to really uh, have the product that is designed uh, data privacy first. And, and how did it get started? So it's an open source project. It's top in the world right now for its open source yeah. category. How did it get started? It's a very interesting story. Um, so I founded this company together with my brother. So I always believed I wanted to and and. My dream was to be a developer, and I quite soon after majoring in, in computer science to realize that there are so much smarter developers around, and I'm not one of them. But even my co- co-founder and brother, he is, and and he has always been this sort of uh, working in very forward-leading tech organizations. And he were back in 2014 when this project was started. He was working already very. In the DevOps, so the DevOps handbook was already implemented. They were everything was automated. They could push code to production whenever. And he was super frustrated because even though, you know, it was all organized in order to get this uh, this uh, piece of code shipped to production, he found himself and the team and and his peers not doing so. And why was that? Well, there is so many excuses or reasons that are not pushing to production. It's you know, it's not ready, it's not tested enough, it's not complete, it's not feature complete, it's too simple, we need to make it more robust before we put it in front of customers again. It's the same use cases we just kind of started to explore there. And another interesting part is the company where he worked was very technology agnostic, meaning uh, they believe that developers wanted to take the best tooling of the choice to solve the problems they needed to solve. And it was not like a management decision to do only a Java or a .NET or whatever. And because of that, there was a, you can imagine, the tech stack was just all over the place, uh, which is also a challenging thing. So at the time, uh, when you were starting to start searching into and, and what, what are available toolings available, there was a few toolings available, but they were very focused towards either the Golang or Ruby or .NET. And you know, if you really want to deliver a great software experience, you need to have a very, ex- like a very strong, good, same behavior and experience across all of those microservices that is in uh, coming into place. So, so he figured that if you want to have this type of tooling, you need to make sure it behaves exactly the same way across all type of programming languages. And that's not the case in your 
if we're using a specific one for Python and a different one for Golang. And, you know, developers, engineers, if they don't find a tool, they just make it and that was happened. Yeah. I love it. That's my background. I don't know if you read up uh, on on my history. Oh, I did. Oh, okay, yeah. So I, I love <laughs> talking about programming and and open source projects. And and I had a, a number of questions too here about you know your experience and in, in open source and what you're seeing. But from a business standpoint, about Unleash, right? Being a yep. large open source project, there's other competitors out there, right? Sure. Launch darkly has a ton of cash, commercialization. Yep. I don't think that they're open source though, right? No. Yeah, so what is the advantage that you have against this 800-pound gorilla that is launched Darkly? Yeah, it's a great question, and 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 it's a, it's a great space to be in because there's so much happening, and, and it's true. Uh, we are up against like a well-funded big gorilla out there. Um, so why is open source the edge there? I would say... Open source is the only thing that makes sense for software tooling, like for software developers. And why is that? Well, first and foremost, it's very easy for them to get started, right? It's, uh, you know, software developers, they don't want to go to sales calls. They don't want to kind of go to kind of these sales meetings. They just want to go and, and get stuff done, right? So they want to test it. They want to start using it. And open source is available freely, obviously. Uh, you can just uh, download it start to use it and, and, and really start playing with the tooling. And 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 uh, I would also say that what we see is the open source community also, it, it, uh, it is a very, let's call it a very well-informed product manager, which means when we are looking for the next feature to develop, there is already a conversation going between our team and, and the community saying, this is what is important to us, or this is what is really not so important for us. And I mean, the best best uh, stories we have is developers starting to develop a new feature and it's starting to get feedback from our users when they start publishing the code to GitHub, right? So already before it's shipped, it's sort of getting feedback from from real users. And, and you know, feedback is the best way of learning, right? That's that's how we human beings learn. We, we test, we get feedback, and then we sort of adapt to that. And I would also say... You know, it's a trusting. Uh, open source is the ultimate level of trust or, or transparency. I mean, when we are claiming how we are dealing with PII or how we say we are dealing with the security practices, I mean, there is nowhere to hide because I know that you are, as a developer, you can go and inspect my code. And, and if you call my bluff, it's you are going away. Uh, and I need to be very true to to how we communicate. And, and I think that is an... Um, competitive edge and I think there is also a coolness factor for it. I mean it's uh, you found a very nice open source project that needs to get started and and if it really works you want to tell your pals and that's what you do and then it starts to have this uh, bottom of growth and, and that's what we see happening. For you starting this as an open source project did you ever imagine it would become a commercial endeavor or was it just a fun project? Yeah no it started as a let's say fun project. It was it was started to kind of solve the problem in the team for making them more kind of easy to go to production and all of those uh, those reasons. And it's, uh, you know, what, what happened was never, there was never any commercial ambitions. There were never kind of business plan behind it. It was sort of this cool thing that we do and we kind of, uh, the team showed it off on the sprint demos and I started to talk about it that, you know, keep parties and it started to, to, to grow and, and, you know, Developers is moving between employers and they bring the tooling with them and it started mm. to spread organically. So so it's it was first in twenty nineteen where 
it was a started to be a really strong market pull. Uh, started to be kind of coming from community. Is there kind of any commercial offering here? Is there any type of support? Because it's really a great product, but is there anything more? Because you know, we need you know the SLA or some kind of support agreement or whatever in place in order for really starting to use it at this big scale. Yeah, I do want to jump in here, okay? Because you hit a good part of the story. Yeah, tell me a small story about the moment you and your brother realized that this thing's actually something. Yeah. There are so many moments in that history, but maybe I would say there is two moments. The first moment is when we decided to actually start pursuing this commercially. So this is myself and and my brother, you know, hanging out. We were out for a burger and a beer and kind of just, uh, you know, casual having having some some relaxed time together. And he started to talk to me about this, this organic call he, he started to receive. And he started to talk about this project. And this is before I joined the project and at the time I was setting up a 400 so developer size organization very legacy technology you know dealing with large customers requirements contract requirements a lot of kind of this business side of, of software development and and when he told the capabilities of the tool I immediately saw that this is really it. This, this this is something that can really help my day this can save my day because I wanted to be like this team always moving to production but I had a very technology and like a legacy technology stack I was working with. So that's, you know, it's, it's good business, but it sort of has been around for 15, 20 years. So it hasn't really, uh, every of the nicest, uh, whistles, uh, available, uh, as there. And also the contracts and the customer type of customer, this is a payroll and accounting type of software. So a lot of compliance, a lot of kind of, you need to make sure it's really properly done. You. Do not mess up with payrolls, right? You don't mess up with accounting. So, so you don't just release software. So for, for, for us to do like a daily, weekly, monthly, uh, release every minute, that was sort of really unheard of. And we know that that's, that's how we want to build software and having the eve of telling the story of how can we really get this done and really decoupling these two problems and tackling that, that was kind of an eye opener for me. This is, this is really, this is real. This is really having a lot of value. And I think the second moment, this is about a year after we started to pursue this, we started just talking to a lot of customers and kind of signing customers and doing this as a side gig. So the first year we, we just did this weekends and nights and you know, when, when you start looking at the number of, of customers there, we had Lenovo on, on board and we started to have also some well-recognized kind of insurance companies and, and huge global brands on, on, on the customer list there. It was sort of, we just need to really do this, like really, really do it. it this is not good enough to just be in, in weekends and nights anymore because this is just getting too serious. And, and that was also a moment for saying, okay, this is it. This is, this is happening. Oh man. And then it became your full-time job. It is. Yeah. How are you growing currently? Where are you at on your journey? Uh, we are go growing quite fast. So we are 27 people at the moment. So still a small team, but you know, uh, looking to hire more and more talents and number of customers quite soon into 250 paying customers there. So it's, uh, it's getting from a small project into more kind of a real business and, and, and the future is just bright for that. 
Did you raise capital or just bootstrap it? Yeah, we did. Yeah. We uh, we had a good uh, seed round back in 2020, and we 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 actually closed the Series A just before everything went dark in, <laughs> in February last year. Lucky you, yeah. Yeah, lucky me, lucky us. <laughs> so when you when you guys think about uh, the competitors, I, I'm a business person, but I'm sure. just I'm just curious. When sure, it, it's it's important too. I think there's a lot of the audience. You know, I, I love the David and Goliath story, right? Yeah. And so I'm trying to figure out, without putting words in your mouth, how do you see your strategy as mm. far as against against your competitors, or are you just completely Jeff Bezos, Amazon style focused on the customers and you just put up blinders to your competitors? Yeah. I would say we are more towards the Amazon type of side of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say we have deep respect for our competitors. There is a lot of talent there. They are working hard to deliver a lot of value to the customers, but also we are seeing some of their decisions, at least uh, to our philosophy, is uh, fundamentally wrong. So. I think we are saying very focused on, we are very focused on solving the real problem for the customer and not catching up with our competitors, right? There are so many, I mean, the easiest thing we can do is to go to the plan list or kind of the feature list and just start copying features, right? Mm-hmm. End up in a feature game. Of course, it's always going to be a feature game in sales and you want to, you know, throw the stick towards us and say, oh, they don't have that feature or this feature. And then... But if you really have an engaging conversation with the customer, really understand what the problem you're solving for the customer, really kind of are, are clear on where you fit in to solve that problem or support the customer with that problem, that goes so much longer, right? Because you don't buy a product because of 10 features. You buy a product because you want to get something to done or you, you need to solve a problem, a challenge, right? That's that's the key thing here. and. And and also I think that we are wanna kind of challenge a bit the status quo every here and there. Because, you know, one of the very interesting marketing campaigns we did when we started was basically saying, so we ship uh, software on Fridays. Uh, I'm not sure how familiar with software development, usually that is sort of unheard of because, you know, shit goes wrong and then you and end up spending all of your weekend fixing that the issues. And, and for us it's sort of, it is it is a kind of a, a truth and, and, and it's sort of established kind of this is how you do or not do software development, but should it be like that? Is that really what it should be like? And if you really start thinking about it, it should be just put it out there. If it works, it's, uh, it works. So we're not just very dynamically turn it off and, and fix it and, and, and iterate and improve. That's what you should be doing. So why should you not uh, release on Fridays? You should. It's should it absolutely release on Fridays. And if you do, you also have the process of turning in place to really have a good quality product and that's what you should be aiming for. Yeah, and and I love it personally because I was writing software before this concept was widely publicized and it was something developers did and talked about. I'm sure one company somewhere was doing some homemade version of it, right? Yeah. That's that's actually exactly what we would do is we we would do a homemade version of it and then when tools came out, the tooling was way better way to handle it. But I love what you said about the ease of use of getting it into production because I'm a very outcome driven person. I like things now. I'm always working on my patience, right? And yeah. when I was writing code and developing, I would think to myself all the time to exactly what you said, where we would sit there and debug and debug and debug in a staging environment. 
And then once that was good, and staging had some variant of production data in it, and once that was good, we'd go over to production, and then there's inevitably issues there that you debug, debug, debug. And so I thought to myself, why not just skip that step? Like, let's- I know. <laughs> and that's what they should be doing. Why do I have staging there? I mean, just think about the expenses of keeping that the staging environment up and running. I mean, it's cost a fortune, right? And as you, as you perfectly well pointed out there, you're trying to kind of simulate the data from the production, but even, I'm not sure how you do that, and probably some do, but, but you shouldn't, at least uh, to be compliant with GDPR, you cannot do a copy of that uh, data. So you either need to mask it or you need to, to have synthetic data, and then it starts to grow as a problem, and then you're spending a lot of money. So why do we really want to have this? You should skip it and just go directly to production. Yeah, you can roll databases back. Like you can I know. put systems and processes into place. And once it's it's one of those fun things where once you see it, you can't unsee it. Once you see how you can have a workflow with feature flagging, is that what you're calling it? Feature management or feature flagging? Feature flagging and yeah. feature totals. There's so many different names on the same type of of of, yeah. uh, of, of tooling. It's which author or which conference you're listening to. Exactly. Which, <laughs> but once you see that happen in practice, you can't go back. So if people are listening and you are not doing this in your software development production pipeline, this is not something you guys do. O- open a book on it. Take a look at it. There's a great open source tool I know about called <laughs> called, called Unleash. <laughs> yeah. What is your domain? Unleash.io? Get Unleash.io. Get, Get Unleash. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. For you, from your perspective of when you started playing around in the open source world to today, what have you noticed? What's changed uh, about that? Oh, good question. What has changed in, in the industry or? Yeah, like your experience. Like you, Because you want me to lead with an example? Please. When I started in open source, they had many people who were business people who said open source is they didn't like it it's you're giving up your intellectual property it's not going to last it's just not going to last if you go back to the 90s and early 2000s people beat up on open source quite a bit well it's clearly a part of the ecosystem and it's established i personally don't know how it could go away it's just become a thing that we do as people um so that was one of the big changes that i see yeah 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 no no definitely i I think there are a few kind of uh, key takeaways in the open source space. So open source, I think, has matured a lot. People, as you say, are starting to get used to it. They're, I think the biggest, uh, one of the biggest uh, topics is sort of this notion of uh, open source is just free. It's free, and but also there, we, we need to admit there is a lot of kind of open source contributors that are spending a lot of their spare time. And, and then it's also something for large corporations to really start thinking about because are you kind of been taking benefiting on kind of these, these strong developers spending their nights and weekends and, and just taking that product without kind of it's sort of so there are some some and I think also it starts to be more kind of understood that the open source is is free but it's also sort of come with a cost, right? Because there is there there it needs to be maintained and everybody wins of having a strong kind of commercial behind uh the open source. And I think uh, another part of the open source, I, I spend a lot of time also looking outside of the software industry. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a quite turbulent world we are living in right now, right? The the global trade is really going back to kind of more regional trade. It's kind of going back to kind of very uh, individual countries for themselves. And, and, and there seems to be a more and more lack of trust between nations and people. And open source is all about trust, right? It's the, the fundamental trust and transparency 
way of delivering software. And and if we continue on this path of distrusting each other, I cannot see any other way of than software needs to go open source because, you know, you don't want to take software from somebody you don't really trust anymore, particularly when you start diving into one of those security and privacy issues we talked about then. And I see that the open source is very focused in the developer spacing today. Uh, I would be very surprised if it doesn't start uh, taking a bigger chunk also in other kind of verticals uh, of software for sure uh, over the next couple of, uh, I don't know, year or two. Do you see any drawbacks to open source? Any cons? You know, the, every so- piece of software is as good as, you know, as the weakest link as uh, as as as, uh, as always. I mean, the, the biggest drawback with open source is if you build a business and, and there is a lot of compliance and responsibility and legal parts uh, on top of that software, the problem with the possible problem with open source, if that, if you're starting to be dependent on open source libraries that go, goes out of kind of not being maintained anymore, mm. right? Because if you don't have any commitment behind it, if it's sort of a project, it's sort of kind of, you know, a hobby, something you are so dependent on that individual or those individual contributors that really want to put up their time and really maintain that product. So the maintainability is a big possible issue or, or challenge, I would say. Got to get those uh, GitHub bounties, right? <laughs> I know. Or, or go with an open source project where there's a business behind it. Yes. Yeah, which is what a, I love. I don't know exactly which episodes I've mentioned it in, but I've mentioned it in several episodes that I love the open source model with professional services behind it because every time I've ever used and loved an open source product that was solving a problem in a higher level business context, I want to go, I don't want to maintain it. I want to use it, but I don't want to maintain it. I don't want to host it. And I just wanted to download it and play with it and see if I could configure it and if it would do a proof of concept. And then once I say it's good to go, I'm like, well, oh, I wish there's a version of this that had professional services because it's so much easier. I know, I know. And and I think that's also a perfect business model, even if it's professional services or pure hosting or an open core business model. There's so many ways of kind of tackling that. And and I think you're absolutely right. Open source is a, is a great way to kind of get to know the tool and you can play with it. You can start using it. You can really see if it really fits your needs, because that's also a big thing, right? You want to kind of make sure it really are doing what you need it to do. Or if it doesn't, why should we spend more time kind of, you know, uh, paying or, or, or working through procurement and all of that stuff. So I think that's, that's, uh, that's absolutely a very correct observation. Now I'm not writing code on a daily basis anymore. I haven't since the past three years or so, because I focus mainly on the podcast, but of course. Obviously, everyone's watching ChatGPT and yeah. Copilot from GitHub. Have you seen, because you're in open source on a daily basis, have you seen yet ChatGPT type bot contributing to any open source projects? Uh, not that I'm aware of, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's already happened. I know. Isn't that? <laughs> I was thinking, I was. We need to create a chat GPT bot that goes and solves the bounties and just deposits the money into our accounts. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's maybe that's the thing. 
is a cash machine for you. Yeah. Well, I have talked to people that build tools that use these types of technologies to identify. It's it's seg- it's very segmented. I'll talk to a security company that's using it to do something very specific with scanning for vulnerabilities, but in a more intelligent way. And then I'll talk to you know a fraud company that's using it in different ways. And so you see these isolated uses of it. But what I think surprised me the most about Chat GPT is the fact that it's got this ability where you can communicate with it in casual language. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. I would be surprised if we don't, uh, if we we probably will see quite soon, if not the available software already, casual language to interact with source code. I love it. I'm. It's definitely the direction we're heading. I do have one small little path I want to just run down for a second. Sure. I was thinking the other day about after watching these chat GPT videos and you can teach it, you can ask it for uh, an answer to a problem in programming or otherwise you can have it write stories and then you can talk back and forth with it and have it make adjustments to the stories and it understands the context. And then I was thinking about how humans work and I was listening to Mark Andreessen of Andreessen Horowitz and, and Elon Musk, they were going back and forth on Twitter talking about how basically how we're Neanderthals were thinking that this chat GPT thing is intelligence right now or something to that effect. But uh, that's what I saw <laughs> from Twitter in my, you know, casual evening hours scrolling through. And what I thought to myself is, well, that isn't that what a human is? Like, isn't that what intelligence is? If I have this conversation with you and we yeah. start solving a problem and we go back and forth and then we come to a conclusion and we would leave and we would both go talk to our spouses and say, yeah, I had a really intelligent conversation today. I know. How is it not? And then humans will say, no, but you know, our soul that you know allows us to be different in this living fact. And and so I was just curious if you've, you've thought at all about any of this communication as consciousness type deal. Yeah, no, what can I say? I'm, I'm, it's an interesting question because we start diving into what is really a human being and what is intelligence and where is the start and stop of the, of the humankind. I, I definitely follow you. It's sort of this uh, conversation and also how we learn, how we interact. It's, 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 it's through this kind of communication there. The, I think the question for me is more of what does it take to really get from kind of a casual learning test fail improve type of conversation into kind of really thinking like crazy outside of the box type of things. I'm sure we can make uh, algorithms for making that happen as well. I have no clue how to do that, but it's sort of uh, definitely a next step of, of really inventing uh, something truly amazing that really, really nobody thought about before. And you know, what is the soul? The soul is, isn't that also just a conversation between yourself and yourself? Yeah. That's one way to describe it. Absolutely. Yeah. I like that. That was deep, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I went down that path. So sometimes those are hard conversations to have because they're very they get very high level and very ambiguous really quickly. But yeah. I just felt like it. I was like, maybe this guy's got something. We gotta write that yeah, down, maybe. Josh. That's a good quote. <laughs> <laughs> if you had a magic wand and you could wave it and change anything about open source, what would it be? Oh, what would that be? I think uh, the one thing that really feels a bit, uh, I would say, unfair is the, the huge number of open source developers contributing to highly used projects by so many companies without getting anything paid. So I think that business side of things, I'm not sure if that's magic one or whatever, 
but that feels unfair. Uh, I think uh, that the open source community is all about sharing and giving and contributing and kind of giving back to society. At the same time, it needs to be kind of equally or balanced, right? It's sort of uh, you give and you take uh, and or you give and, and you receive. So so I think uh, if, if, if it counts for us, I'm actually one that would say that's kind of, I can perfectly well imagine so many open source developers sort of having this a bit unfair type of feeling. I spent so many hours writing this project. There's so many that uses it. It's so many so that is depend on it and they're not really getting their fair share back. Well, I'll, I'll push back. Well, first of all, I'm not going to disagree with your magic wand. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I, I'll push back with, with a couple different perspectives. The sure. first perspective is that they're writing it for their own use too, right? I Sure. Don't usually contribute to open source projects that I'm not using, right? So yeah. you are getting some benefit. I get where sure. you're coming from, though, because there's not direct compensation. I would argue that there is compensation in the form of experience. Right now, I'm becoming more knowledgeable sure. here that can improve my job prospects sure. for other companies that are dependent upon it. So I, I do think there's a like a couple benefits, but I I 100% agree that it would be really cool if they could just get direct paychecks, right? But if you're a developer and you're contributing to open source and you're, you feel that way right now, that should not be a signal that the system's unfair. That should be a signal that there's something that you don't know about how to convert what you're doing into money. <laughs> no, I, I think that's spot on. And I think also that's what you see happening in the open source community at the mm-hmm. moment. There is... A tremendous number of companies being built and there is more and more money being pushed towards open source projects to really make it from, you know, this, this, uh, this gig into more kind of a uh, grown up company. And, and I, I think that there are going to be a f- uh, significant uh, increase in, in, in uh, monetization around open source as we move forward. Uh, I have no doubt about that. So. I think you're right. It's sort of, it maybe feels a bit unfair, but it also kind of a clear signal that there's a great opportunity in this space to really build some fantastic businesses. Yeah. Like, and I loved bounties coming about selfishly, right? Because there would be a problem I needed solved in a system. And I would rather have someone who hangs out in that project all day come by and collect a little bit of cash and solve the problem than me try to become an expert in authentication or whatever the system might be that I'm working with. Um, Yeah, so I, I like that. I also did a little bit of research last year and I was incredibly surprised about the largest contributors to open source. It's it's all the big tech companies. They're the largest contributors to open source. I was talking with somebody on Stack Overflow, which is always a mistake because <laughs> <laughs> there's going to be yelling. And and somebody made some comment about how they don't you know contribute anything and they keep all their source code private. And you know they were being negative about the bigger companies. And it was actually specifically Microsoft that they were calling out. So. Me being a nerd, I go over to Google and I type in how much does Microsoft contribute to Opus Force. They were in the top three. I don't know which one they were. But as far as the report goes, they were in the top three for sure. And when you saw the dollar or the they did a dollar amount or an hour lines of codes amount, it was huge. They it makes complete sense why they bought GitHub. No, it it, it makes a ton of sense. And also you know, it's a, it's a very fascinating uh, part of the open source business because uh, coming back a bit uh, a bit back to some of the benefits of using open source is also when you are 
when you are using an open source project, there is also a lot of benefit for you as a company because you know that if there is a bug, if there's an issue, if there's some improvements you need in a tooling, if it really is super, super important for you and either the project or the company cannot or will not or are not able to prioritize that at this moment, you can actually go in there and fix it yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And give it back to the community and it fixes for you and, and it's sort of giving back. And, and I think also um, more and more large organizations and like, like I mentioned there, the tech companies, but also uh, company big corporations outside of the company, uh, tech companies see this as a big benefits. And as you say, also there, it's a, it's a huge way to attract talents, of course, to really get strong developers because you have this amazing open source stack. And while I have you here, because you're a feature management guru expert, I'll, I'll, I'll say it, right? You don't have to agree. Yeah. But <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm always curious when I have, you know, you're in it all day, every day, right? Do you see that people misinterpret or misuse these features in any way? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there is, um, there are certain use cases where you probably don't need to go for full kind of full fledged feature management. You can be more kind of static configurations. I think it's uh, as any tooling, you need to understand the purpose and the use case and why you are sort of leaning towards uh, that particular tooling and, and, and just not use this tool for everything, right? It's sort of, uh, coming back to developers should have access to the best tooling for whatever the purpose of the problem they're solving. And, and if you're a skilled developer, your, your, your tool toolbox is, is, is big, right? Yeah. How do you do feature management? Well, what's the most important thing? That's a good question. Actually, it's, uh, that's most of these questions is, is depends, right? It depends on the use case. I would say one thing that is really a good takeaway is really understand that feature management as a tooling is as much a way of delivering software as it is a tool. And I mean, if you want to do, if you want to kind of have the very old fashioned release meeting type of, uh, of, uh, governance around your software, you might not need a tool such as, uh, a feature management as like Unleash or any other, anybody else. Uh, so. I mean, tool comes together with a proper process or engineering uh, maturity or culture, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think that is a good uh, or important part to really understand. It allows you to do amazing things, but also you need to be willing to do amazing things, right? Do you do consulting in the sense that, let's say I'm a CTO and I'm hearing about feature flagging, I've heard about it a bunch, now I'm hearing about it on the this podcast, and we don't do it. And my team, I, I want them to do it. But that's a culture yeah. shift, as you just mentioned. Yeah. They want to yeah. do best practices. They might be using a lot of best practices, but this is something new. It's a new motion. Do you yeah. have consulting services that they can bring in and, and see how to do it correctly? No, so so how we do this, we, we do not do professional services. We have decided to stay out of that space because uh, I would say, and maybe I can take a bit of a detour becoming before I come back to your question. I would say, if you have uh, professional services and you're selling a product software tooling, you're probably not delivering as great software product because our focus is we need to make sure that we have a great user experience, a very intuitive tooling, very easy to use, very easy to get started. And really, probably really everything we do is focused around solving the challenges that you are solving your needs and not kind of just delivering another feature. And, and the profession, professional services there is basically that 
is incentivized by me as a professional services provider selling hours, right? I want to sell more hours. And how can I sell more hours? I can sell more hours because it's complicated, because it's difficult, because it's and so forth. So we are very focused on delivering the product. And if we were to go into more kind of transformational projects or kind of change management, that's a way different way of, that, that's a different type of business. Will we eventually grow into that? Maybe, maybe not, I'm not sure. Um, but I, what I would say though, when we engage with our enterprise customers, we work very close with them uh, from a customer success point of view, more in in a sort of a trusted advisor role than professional services. So we would not go in there and do kind of the Capgemini or Accenture or kind of Deloitte type of change management. We would do supported teams saying, okay, these are the best practices. These are sort of the, how you should think and how you should work. This is how we can together kind of enable you to take this into the company, identify some, some quick wins and really get that sort of bottom up growth going for you because that's what we do. We are not kind of the, the professional services provider. So if the if the team has the desire and the drive and the discipline, they can come become a customer. Your customer success team can point them in the right direction, help them yeah. understand yeah. how to do this. But you're yeah. not going to go fly out to their location and babysit them and convince them all. <laughs> no, we are, we are not flying in the, the big yeah. Yeah, Accenture machine and just kind of <laughs> rolling in heads and heads and heads to kind of do that. I mean, it's it's good for its purpose, but it's a different purpose than ours. Yeah. I was just thinking to myself, getting to spend so much time and, and visiting different people I've gotten to meet on the podcast, I found that one of the hardest things across all organizations is a new behavior. I know, and it is. The easiest way to get a new behavior to happen is to have somebody who's influencing that behavior to happen. And, yeah. And so I was thinking, I was like, well, there's clearly enough appetite in the market for people who just want, they know they want this, they're doing this and they just want to do it better and they're coming to you. That's a great position to be in as far as the market. There's a lot of pressure there and they're coming you know, to you, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. But uh, I think it's uh, also for us too, very important to stay focused on delivering the yes. best possible products and, and that's about focus, right? We cannot, or if you start having too many focus points, you're losing focus, right? And that's important for us to, to stay away from. But you know, it's also for us to continue to be the aspirational company and we see that happening. You know, live as you preach and, and, and do what you tell and, 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 and also to share that, uh, giving that back to the community, giving that back to our customers and what is our personal experiences or the company experience on how we are doing, uh, uh, delivering uh, software de- efficiently, you know, because software development is about, it's a, it's a team effort. It's not about individual developers, it's about how developers work together as a team and then contribute and collaborate uh, in order to create, build that next amazing software. We didn't talk about money yet as far as the business impact. So I don't have any studies and I haven't looked into this, but I would imagine that if you get people into this feature flagging concept, there's a time, well, I just guarantee there's a time savings. Have you... <laughs> quantified this at all? Do you include any information about this in the process or on your website? We are seeing a lot of that. And I think the, the best study there to to lean back to is this store report. I'm not sure if you are familiar with the, I guess you are familiar with the State of DevOps report yep. that is published here. I, I think that speaks for the industry. It's uh, very much uh, saying uh, what are the best behaviors. It's uh, it, um, like very, like it does a fantastic job correlating engineering practices into business outcome. Uh, and, and, uh, so, so, uh, of course we, we, we are working with the customers to look at what are the 
possible savings for individual use cases and, and case studies and, and all of that is uh, usually uh, not uh, something we are allowed to disclose, obviously. And But it's, uh, it's huge uh, time savers. It's like efficiency for the individuals, developers, for sure. We talked about the testing system. So as soon as we can start moving away from those, it's usually big dollars saved. Mm-hmm. So the, the potential there is just fantastic. Do you have any, and I'm, I'm pushed just a little bit more, do you have any easy numbers? So if I'm a leader and I've got you know a team of X amount of engineers that I can expect if I start to explore feature flagging, that I can get a 10% efficiency, a 5%, Ninety nine percent. Like, how how much would I be looking to to gain? It's a very complicated question because mm. it's uh, it's it's there's so many uh, many uh, variables in play there. I can I can think of one customer case we had. We had a customer. Uh, I'm not allowed to share, of course, the name, unfortunately, but it's a major uh, customer in uh, based out of uh, US East. One of their feedback was saying that after starting to use on the each day were finally releasing in December, first ever in the company history. And that is a month of savings of waiting for it, putting that into production. And mm. you can just imagine the number of dollars that is attached to that, uh, to that uh, event. And these are results that you guarantee for every customer. <laughs> 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 I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I want to ask a, le- a couple leadership questions and sure. then we can wrap it up. Is that okay with you? Absolutely. Okay. This is a difficult thing you're doing. You're an entrepreneur. This is hard. Sure. How do you deal with the stress? I think I saw your your wife back there earlier and yeah, you yeah, got yeah. a relationship, a family. How do you handle the stress of entrepreneurship? That is good. Good question. I would say entrepreneurship is hard, but also coming from a large corporate is also easier. Uh, easier in a sense that it's more unclear. Uh, there's more unknowns in entrepreneurship, but also the size of the team and the problem in many senses is less complex and easier, if that makes sense. So I would say running a team of four or 500 developers is, there is much more input uh, from any direction to take care of. Uh, we are 27 people, much more manageable, but of course there is much more unknowns so it's a different different type of stress. And I think it sort of comes back to where do you kind of uh, are getting excited? Where do you get your energy? Is it to kind of get stuff done and, and learn and, and grow? And I think that's coming into this, we, the entire core, core team is a very much a growth mindset. We are here to learn stuff. We are here to understand and really figure out stuff. And, and it gives us the energy. So it's, it's actually a bit less stressful than you would think, I guess. And then is this your this is your first company? Because before you yeah. were at this larger agency yeah. or Yeah. Well, man, you're doing it. It's exciting. <laughs> Last question here. Best piece of leadership advice that you ever received, but then yeah. but then it's stuck with you. So not yeah. just the the coolest one you've ever heard, the one that's stuck with you over time. Yeah. Yeah. I think there is uh there's two that comes to mind. Um the first one is sort of coming back to focus. Uh, I had a manager and he, he observed me uh, being a middle manager, running around and trying to fix everything at the same time, right? Because I, I was ambitious. I wanted to, to be ambitious on behalf of the team and I wanted the team to really be in like great and all kind of areas. And he said to me, remember that you don't need to fix everything today. 
right focus on a few things, get it done, and move on. And that, that really stopped me because it's so easy when you start having a lot of challenges, issues, whatever, as a typical in, you know, leadership or, or manager situation, there is so much that comes on your plate and most of them are issues, problems that you need to kind of solve or resolve and, and handle and, and kind of keep calm and, 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 and remember what is the most important stuff and don't try to solve everything at the same time and kind of be a bit calm in that situation is super important then. I would say the second one is basically remember that we are human beings, right? Listen, listen to people. The 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 more responsibility, the more kind of higher higher seniority you get, uh, probably the less you should talk and more you should listen, right? Because if you can excel all of your peers, all of your team members, all of your direct reports to the next level by them trying, failing, supporting, coaching them, you're probably doing some amazing stuff, right? And you don't need to talk too much about that. You can ask some very good questions and listen to what they're saying. 100%. Yes. This is great. I'm so glad I got to meet you, man. Yeah, likewise. Yeah. We made a podcast. How do you feel? We do. Uh, it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Woo, we did it. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.